Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And not just the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. I'm Tracy from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Are you a small business owner or even someone who dreams of entrepreneurship? Then check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from iHeart Podcasts and Intuit QuickBooks. Join hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres as they interview entrepreneurs sharing insights around starting and nurturing a small business. You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. Happy Saturday, everybody. Not too long ago on the show, we talked about a series of six prison breaks. And one of the more famous prison breaks that we did not get into on the show was John Dillinger's 1934 escape using a fake gun that he had made. And we didn't because there's already a podcast on Dillinger by previous hosts Sarah and Dublina. That came out on December 5th, 2011. Just as a very general guideline. It is not really necessary to send in corrections for pronunciations in 11-year-old podcast episodes, especially when they are hosted by people who do not work here anymore. But just in case, we do, as totally random examples, know how to say the words mischievous and Lima, Ohio. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. And welcome to the podcast. I'm Dublina Chakraborty. And I'm Sarah Dowdy. And earlier this year, we talked a lot about Ned Kelly and some other famous bushrangers who were essentially Australian outlaws viewed as folk heroes by many of their contemporaries. A couple of times we compared that bushranger phenomenon to the American Wild West and Jesse James. But the United States has seen some more recent examples of these outlaw hero hybrids in the form of the Depression-era bank robber gangster. Why would the public, or at least a portion of it, root for a criminal with a scary Tommy gun? That's what we asked ourselves. And it's similar to the Bushranger situation is what we found. It had less to do with people liking the bank robbers than it did with their 
disliking the banks. Basically, what that meant was that in the 20s, banks speculated on stocks and then went bust and left people who deposited money high and dry. And then in the 30s, banks foreclosed on farmers who'd been hit hard by drought, forcing thousands of people to leave their land. So banks were the enemy. Yeah, and some of the criminals, like the one that we're going to focus on in this episode, John Dillinger, were really kind of likable guys. Dillinger was known for being charismatic. He's been called Gentleman John or the Gentleman Bandit. And even though his infamous crime spree only lasted for one year, he was arguably the biggest celebrity criminal of his day. He was the first criminal to be named public enemy number one by the FBI. And Dillinger's demise also marked the beginning of the end of the 1930s gangster era and the rise of the FBI. In fact, when former and the first FBI director, J. Edgar Hoover, who's been in the spotlight recently because of the movie, movie coming out. when he was asked as an old man what his greatest thrill or the high point in his career was, he said it was the night they got Dillinger. So we're going to take a look at that night and some of the mysteries and the myths surrounding it. But of course, we're going to talk a little bit about Dillinger's early days first and how he became a star of the crime world in the first place. So John Herbert Dillinger was born June 22nd, 1903 in a middle-class neighborhood in Indianapolis called Oak Hill. So most sources say he was trouble from a pretty early age, not mean-spirited, not a bully necessarily, but mischievous. Uh, according to an article by Peter Carlson in American History, Dillinger's life of crime really started in grade school when he formed a gang called the Dirty Dozen. They apparently stole watermelons. Some sources say that they might have stolen coal. Um, but instability from family life probably didn't help things. Dillinger's mother, Mary Ellen, died when he was only about three or four years old, and he was cared for mostly by his sister, Audrey. Uh, his father, John Wilson, who was a grocer, remarried when Dillinger was about 10 years old. But Dillinger wasn't very fond of his stepmother, at least at first. So Dillinger quit school when he was about 16, and he went to work in machine shops. He was a decent worker, but he wasn't that into his work, so he started staying out late, like a lot. And in 1920, his father moved the family from the city to a farm in Mooresville, Indiana, presumably in part because he thought Dillinger was on the road to getting into serious trouble. But moving to the farm really didn't help with that problem very much. Dillinger ran wild, and he got into trouble, or what, or was about to get into trouble, I should say, for stealing a car. So at age 19, he joined the Navy. But after only five months, he went AWOL when his ship was docked in Boston, and later he was dishonorably discharged. So he came home to Morrisville for a little while. He got married to 16-year-old Beryl Hovius in April of 1924. And also for a brief time, he showed promise as a baseball player for a team in Martinsville, Indiana. But it wasn't long before Dillinger started to get into trouble again. That same year, 1924, he and an older friend named Ed Singleton assaulted and robbed a local grocer. And they really botched the crime. They messed up completely, and they got caught. And Singleton pled not guilty and got off with a light sentence. But Dillinger took some really bad advice from his father, uh, who convinced him not to get a lawyer and to plead guilty. And uh, they were just sort of assuming that maybe since Dillinger had no prior criminal record, maybe the court would show mercy, let him off easy. But it didn't go down that way. Dillinger was sentenced to 10 to 20 years in prison. So what a way to start life. Yeah, pretty serious sentence. Of course, though, he didn't just 
take it lying down and accept his fate. At first, Dillinger attempted to escape from prison a few times, acted up, got in all kinds of trouble. He seemed to become more and more bitter about a situation as time went on, especially when he was denied parole and when his wife divorced him in 1929 while he was still in there. After a while, though, Dillinger settled down, or at least he appeared to. He worked in the prison shirt factory and started making friends with some of the older inmates like Harry Pierpont, who could school him in an advanced criminal tactic like the finer points of robbing banks, for instance. Then, in May of 1933, after nearly nine years in prison, Dillinger's good prisoner facade paid off and he was paroled. Just a few weeks later, on June 10, 1933, he robbed his first bank in Ohio, and he made off with somewhere in the neighborhood of $10,000 on that first job. And he also started recruiting a few friends and pulled off several more robberies that summer. But it wasn't long before he was back behind bars again, really just at the end of the summer. He was arrested in Dayton, Ohio on September 22, 1933, and then he was thrown into the county jail in Lima, Ohio. Um, According to the FBI's website, when Lima police were frisking Dillinger, they found a document which seemed to be a plan for a prison break. But Dillinger said he didn't know anything about that. But just a few days later, eight to ten of Dillinger's prisoner buddies escaped using the exact plan the police had found. So it turned out that Dillinger had arranged for guns to be smuggled into the prison to aid the escape. So presumably... This had been the plan all along. Dillinger would make parole, get out of jail, pull off some jobs to get money, um, to get guns, get ammo, whatever, and then return to prison to get his friends out. And his friends didn't forget the favor either. Just a couple weeks later, several of the escapees showed up at the jail again where Dillinger was being held. And at first they pretended to be there to return Dillinger to the Indiana State Prison since he had, of course, violated parole. But as soon as Sheriff Jess Sarber asked to see some sort of ID, they shot and killed him, took his keys, and freed Dillinger. So a wild double-part escape here. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Did you know small businesses make up 99.9% of all businesses in the United States? The world is powered by entrepreneurs. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. And every episode, hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres talk to entrepreneurs about how they've grown from the lessons of launching and nurturing a small business and how they have found success being their own boss. From the excitement of first starting out to finding the right tools and resources to process invoices and payments like QuickBooks Money, you won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotels has a stay for any traveler you want to be with 22 brands and over 7,400 locations. Whether you're a business traveler, a family road tripper, someone who wants to seek out history and maybe make your own, or just planning a quick getaway, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Like a Cambria Hotel, where you can be a cocktail connoisseur and sip locally inspired craft beverages at downtown locations in the center of it all. This is a fun way to visit cities with a lot of history and a lot of fun in mind. Or a Radisson Hotel for for all our productivity powerhouses out there. With flexible workspaces and on-site restaurants, you'll get the most out of your work trip. You'll get the coffee, the Wi-Fi, and the work done. And we can't forget about comfort hotels. Imagine you're a family road tripper, waking up in your big spacious room and then heading down to a free hot breakfast for the entire family, including waffles. So you'll be well-fed and ready for the day's adventure, even if that's just relaxing. After that, you're spending all afternoon relaxing by the pool. You deserve it. What are you waiting for? Join Choice privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you. Book directly at choicehotels.com where travels come true. And the band of outlaws became known as the Dillinger Gang or the Terror Gang. And during the last few months of 1933, Dillinger and friends raided police arsenals for guns and ammo and bulletproof vests. And they robbed about a dozen banks across the Midwest and picked up some serious cash in the process. In October, for example, they robbed a bank in Greencastle and made off with about $75,000. They eventually made hundreds of thousands of dollars doing this. And there was no real leader to the gang. But Dillinger became kind of the star of these robberies. He was well-dressed, he was good-looking, and he was athletic. He had this signature move he would do where he would leap over the bank counter to intimidate employees and get access to the teller's cages and also impress bystanders at the same time. Well, he'd also impress them by telling people who were there to deposit their cash that they could keep their personal money. He was only interested in getting the bank's money. So there was that Robin Hood kind of thing going on that keeps on 
popping up in a lot of these outlaw episodes we talk about. But the Dillinger gang did hurt people, too. They killed about 15 people and wounded several others during their crime spree. Dillinger was even wanted for murder after a policeman was killed during a robbery at a bank in East Chicago, Indiana, in January 1934. But by this time, the gang was making front-page news, I mean, obviously, for for heists like this. And local law enforcement in the Midwest wanted the FBI, which was then called the Bureau of Investigation or Division of Investigation, to get involved, give them a little help with all of this. But by the letter of the law at the time, Dillinger and his friends hadn't committed any federal crimes yet. So therefore, the future FBI couldn't couldn't lay a hand on him. Yeah, not officially at least. That winter, Dillinger took his girlfriend, Evelyn Frechette, and the rest of the gang to Florida on vacation in Daytona Beach for a couple weeks. And then after that, the whole gang headed west to Tucson, Arizona. And that's where they were discovered, recognized, and arrested by police after a fire broke out in one of the hotels a couple of them were staying in under assumed names. They were all wanted all over the Midwest at this point. So states were actually competing over who would get them. Most of the gang ended up going to Ohio, but the East Chicago police got Dillinger and threw him in Crown Point, Indiana jail, which was supposedly escape proof. At this time, there was a media frenzy surrounding Dillinger when he was there. The warden would let reporters interview him, and Dillinger apparently joked with them and really just charmed them all. I mean, some of them thought, hey, this is a shame that this guy's going to end up getting executed because he murdered somebody because he really is kind of likable. But less than two months later, Dillinger put the jail's security to the test. On March 3rd, 1934, Dillinger escaped by waving a pistol to force guards to let him out of his cell. He then captured Crown Point's warden and guards and locked them in a cell and fled. According to the popular version of this story, the gun Dillinger used in this instance was one that he'd carved out of wood and darkened with boot black, so basically shoe polish. And some people, of course, think that this is totally bogus and that he actually had a real gun, but it's one of those one of the many myths out there Did about he Dillinger didn't he? that just you want to believe it because it's such a good story. Encyclopedia Britannica says that he was singing as he left, quote, "I'm heading for the last roundup." And in Carlson's article, he says that Dillinger later wrote about the incident in a letter to his sister and said, quote, you should have seen their faces. Ha, ha, ha. With all exclamation points there, too. So right after this escape is when Dillinger made the mistake that would eventually lead to his downfall. As part of his escape from jail, he stole a sheriff's car and crossed the Indiana-Illinois state line, which violated the National Motor Vehicle Theft Act. So finally, there was a federal offense, and J. Edgar Hoover and the Bureau of Investigation could at last go after Dillinger full force. Dillinger had, of course, basically made a fool out of law enforcement officials with this latest escape and the possible boot-blackened gun. And catching him would be a huge accomplishment and uh, a much-needed win at this point for Hoover's fledgling bureau. So Hoover put his Chicago bureau chief, Melvin Purvis, in charge of finding the outlaw. But they didn't have any luck at first. All of their initial attempts to capture him through raids failed. In the meantime, though, Dillinger was busy. He put together a new gang since all of his other friends were in jail already. And the new members of the Dillinger gang included the likes of Babyface Nelson, who was generally considered an unbalanced, 
homicidal psychopath. He'd done a stint with Al Capone and people were, I mean, this guy was a guy to be feared, but he wasn't necessarily the type of person that Dillinger had worked with in the past. But they set off together on another series of robberies. Purvis and his guys had been searching for Dillinger all over the place, but they kept not finding him or kind of just missing him. They'd find out that he was somewhere, but he'd escape before they could catch him. Then in April of 1934, the Bureau got a tip that the gang was hiding out at the Little Bohemia Lodge north of Rhinelander, Wisconsin, while Dillinger recovered from a wound he'd gotten on their last job. So Purvis and Hugh Clegg, the assistant director of the Bureau at the time, led a small army of agents and approached the lodge at night, trying to ambush the gang. But as they approached, the owner's watchdogs began to bark, and around the same time, three men were leaving the building and they got into a car. Apparently, Purvis tried to yell at the car, we're government agents. But the men didn't hear him and started the car, and they started to pull away. And as the car pulled away, agents opened fire. They ended up wounding two of the men and killing one of them, and they were all non-gangster civilians. So big embarrassment there. And after that, Purvis and his men opened fire on the lodge. But as soon as Dillinger and his men heard the shooting, they managed to escape. They jumped out windows onto the first floor roof and got away. But meanwhile, in an encounter with Babyface Nelson at a neighboring resort, one bureau agent was wounded and another one killed, and their government vehicle was stolen too. So all of this, you know, shooting innocent men, um, having one of their own agents killed by babyface, losing Dillinger yet again, was a huge embarrassment for Purvis and Hoover. And newspapers were calling them to be fired. And some members of the Roosevelt administration were thinking that they might need to get a new FBI director. Uh, But after the Wisconsin incident, Dillinger and his gang went on to rob another bank in Ohio. And Hoover went ahead and dubbed the outlaw public enemy number one and put up a pretty significant cash reward of $10,000 for any information about his whereabouts. He was, he I think he knew at this point his job was kind of riding on, on catching him. Yes, he did. And there's speculation that this may have made Dillinger a little bit more cautious finally, maybe to the extreme even. He's rumored to have undergone plastic surgery around this time to change his appearance and his fingerprints, but of course we don't have any proof of that. That's just kind of a story that's out there. Even if Dillinger did go to this extreme, though, ultimately it didn't help him at all. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Did you know small businesses make up 99.9% of all businesses in the United States? The world is powered by entrepreneurs. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. And every episode hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres talk to entrepreneurs about how they've grown from the lessons of launching and nurturing a small business and how they have found success being their own boss. From the excitement of first starting out to finding the right tools and resources to process invoices and payments like QuickBooks Money, you won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotels has a stay for any traveler you want to be with 22 brands and over 7,400 locations. Whether you're a business traveler, a family road tripper, someone who wants to seek out history and maybe make your own, or just planning a quick getaway, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Like a Cambria Hotel, where you can be a cocktail connoisseur and sip locally inspired craft beverages at downtown locations in the center of it all. This is a fun way to visit cities with a lot of history and a lot of fun in mind. Or a Radisson Hotel for all our productivity powerhouses out there. With flexible workspaces and on-site restaurants, you'll get the most out of your work trip. You'll get the coffee, the Wi-Fi, and the work done. And we can't forget about comfort hotels. Imagine you're a family road tripper, waking up in your big spacious room and then heading down to a free hot breakfast for the entire family, including waffles. So you'll be well-fed and ready for the day's adventure, even if that's just relaxing. After that, you're spending all afternoon relaxing by the pool. You deserve it. What are you waiting for? Join Choice privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you. Book directly at choicehotels.com where travels come true. On July 21st, 1934, Anna Sage contacted a police officer with information. Sage was a Romanian immigrant who was the madam of a brothel in the Chicago area. Her real name was actually Anna Cumpanis. Because of the profession she was in, she was being deported. And in exchange for giving the Bureau information about Dillinger, she wanted the cash reward and the FBI's help in preventing her deportation. So Purvis and his colleagues agreed on at least the first part, and they said maybe her cooperation would help her with the second part of it. So she told them she knew Dillinger's current girlfriend, Polly Hamilton. Some sources say that Anna and Polly were roommates. Others say that they were just girlfriends. But regardless, she said that she, Dillinger, and Hamilton were all going to see the Clark Gable movie, Manhattan Melodrama, which was ironically a gangster movie, at either the Biograph or the Marlboro Theater in Chicago the following night. So Sage said she'd let them know which theater they were going to, and she also said she would wear an orange skirt so that they could pick her out. That's how she became known as the woman in red later on. 
So when Sunday, July 22nd rolled around, Sage still didn't know what theater they were going to, so agents were sent to both locations. Then, around 8.30 p.m., Sage, Dillinger, and Hamilton all showed up at the Biograph. Hoover wanted the agents to wait until Dillinger came out so that they wouldn't hurt anyone who was inside the theater watching the movie. So all of the agents at the other theaters used that time during the movie to come over to the Biograph and to serve as reinforcement. So at 10.30 p.m., Dillinger came out of the theater with the ladies, and Purvis was supposed to light his cigar as the signal for the agents to close in and surround Dillinger. But there's some question as to whether the cigar was actually ever lit or not. Yeah, they may have just rushed in. Yeah, they may have just gone for him as soon as they saw him. The agents did surround Dillinger. Some witnesses say that Dillinger went for his gun. Others say that he didn't. But the agents claim he did. And the outlaw was shot trying to escape down the alley. That's their story, at least. So bystanders apparently tried to crowd around Dillinger's body in the street and dip their handkerchiefs and the edges of their skirts or bits of paper in his blood as souvenirs. Another case of these grisly uh, gangster souvenir things going on. But the remaining gang members were all captured or killed not too long after Dillinger's death, which really just added to the prestige of the Bureau of Investigation, which became the FBI in 1935 and really boosted Hoover's reputation. By mid-1936, the heyday of the 1930s outlaws was really pretty much over. And Hoover said to have kept Dillinger's gun, straw hat, and death mask in a glass case outside of his office. The shrine stayed there until Hoover's death in 1971. But of course, it's never just that simple when it comes to a famous outlaw. Some researchers claim that Dillinger wasn't really killed that night. They think that the Bureau of Investigation agents killed another man in his place. In his book, History's Greatest Lies, which was excerpted in a 2009 issue of History magazine, William Weir references a letter that Emil Winnotka Jr. received in 1968. Now, Emil Winnotka Jr., just to remind you guys, he's um, the son of the man who owned the Little Bohemia Lodge, the lodge in Wisconsin, um, when Dillinger stayed there in 1934, the place where they had where the, the innocent guys were shot. Exactly. So since Dillinger had escaped in such a hurry, he'd left his stuff at the lodge, and the owners had used those belongings to set up a little Dillinger. Museum. The person who'd sent the letter to Winatka said that Dillinger was still alive and had been living in Hollywood under an assumed name since the shooting. He or she also included a photo with the letter, offering it for use in the museum, and that was, I guess, supposedly the purpose of the letter. And it apparently looked a lot like Dillinger could have looked as an older man. So we have to ask what pieces of evidence have people put forth to actually support this theory? Some say the person shot had black hair and Dillinger was supposed to have brown hair, but that could be a pretty easy fix. You can dye your hair and everything. Um, There was, however, also a discrepancy in eye color. So Navy records say that Dillinger's eyes were blue, but the autopsy showed that the person shot had brown eyes. Um, Again, though, you know, you never know with eye color. People can have different interpretations. But finally, the man autopsied had a heart condition that there's no record of Dillinger having. That's kind of the strange outlier here. So what do people who buy this theory think really happened? Well, 
It's said that before he died, Dillinger was going by the alias Jimmy Lawrence in Chicago. But there really was a low-level Chicago criminal named Jimmy Lawrence who kind of resembled Dillinger and also had a heart condition. So some people think this man was killed instead of Dillinger and that Dillinger got the last laugh. Although we should say that the FBI really considers this one of the top 10 myths out there about Dillinger. And there are so many myths out there about him. It's sometimes hard to separate fact from fiction. Thanks so much for joining us on this Saturday. Since this episode is out of the archive, if you heard an email address or a Facebook URL or something similar over the course of the show, that could be obsolete now. Our current email address is historypodcast at iheartradio.com. Our old How Stuff Works email address no longer works. You can find us all over social media at Missed in History. And you can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.